public sales offices in major cities nationwide. Call this toll-free number now to see how to get this free information. The information includes a form for confidentiality and to record and date your idea, plus materials that are very I went out walking through streets paved with gold. Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We have a special guest here just to kick us off. His name is Braden from Salt Lake City. Braden, do you have anything you'd like to say to your family or friends? Yes, I would like to say that I hope you have a good time here and read your Bibles. Woo! All right, man. Thanks, Braden. You take care. So, uh, good advice from Braden. Uh, listen, if you have family or friends who can't watch the show live uh, on television here in Idaho, they can go to streaming video www.hotm.tv and watch from anywhere in the world. We want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, you know, I was just sitting here and I looked out in our studio audience and a, a woman who I know, but she didn't know I was watching her, she was sitting there just praying. And uh, it really touches my heart. Your prayers protect the program. They protect uh, me from saying stupid things often, not always, but often. And, uh, you know, they just keep the ministry uh, going. So we thank you from the bottom of our heart. I was a born again Mormon, now available through PDF uh, online. You go to www.hotm.tv. You can click on the information and you can download it, have it in your hands within minutes. Um, and we, you can do it without cost, or if you want to contribute something, that's fine as well. But we've really made it uh, expedited that process for you to get it. We're working on the hard copies. I've got a question for you. How well do you know your Bible? Now, I bet if you go to a good Bible teaching church, you know it pretty well. This might not be for you, but maybe you don't. Or maybe you uh, need to know it a little bit better. You want some uh, specific teaching in the Bible. So we invite you to attend Calvary Campus. It's a Bible study, Bible study alone. Sundays, I teach at the University of Utah from 2.30 to 3.30. And then uh, up at uh, Utah State in Logan from 7 to 8. And then Marcus teaches in uh, Wednesday nights at a Wednesday night Bible study in Ogden. Go to Calvary Campus, www.calvarycampus.com for more information like locations, directions, times, things like that. We're finding that people from all over come from all different uh churches and they gather together and there's kind of a social thing too they you meet each other and you you know it's it's kind of nice so all are invited all are welcome we hope you attend we also hope you'll join us for our ministry's largest annual outreach program september 5th saturday sugar house park burning heart 09 the big tent revival bands include adams road coming all the way out from florida Five return missionaries, most, L, uh, uh, and I think there's six people in the band. The five uh, all left, became Christian, and they've dedicated their lives to worshiping, teaching about uh, the differences between biblical Christianity and Mormonism through song. And they're very good. We're also going to have a great local band from Salt Lake City, Jeremiah's Fire, there. We're going to have, what we're going to do is get together at 5 o'clock. It goes from 5 to 8. From 5 till about 6, we'll uh, socialize outside, food, games, popcorn, bounce houses, cotton candy, Subway sandwiches uh, available for people who don't bring food. And then we will go inside. We're going to have worship with these two bands. We're going to have a few testimonies, and then we're going to have spoken word. And for people who want to be baptized, we're going to have a pool right there so you can be baptized if you want. It's a big tent revival outreach, and we hope you'll join us. Sugar House Park, 
September 5th um, from 5 to 8 p.m. All right, Christian clothing can be tough to find here in Utah at times, and we want you to know about a cool resource. It's called C28. And you can go to www.c28.com slash 91340, and they got cool, killer Christian clothing. And, uh, and for your, so if you want to take that down, if you're kids or if you're adults, you're interested in that stuff, you got a, a resource right there. And uh, we know people who do that, so we thought we'd help them out. All right, a little bit of a monologue. Um, we're living in some strange and fantastic days, my friends. We, through the ministry, see people now weekly coming to the Lord, send us emails from all over, tell us about their experience, some not even coming from Mormonism, just coming to know the Lord more and more because of the efforts of, and prayers of people like you. The Lord is drawing and calling and bringing all so, souls, people with eyes to see, ears to hear, and some, in some radical ways. Uh, information is everywhere and it's there for people who are seeking truth. Yet at the same time, the counterfeits and the deceptions and the interfaith hybrids are really running amok. There are powerful forces pressing to take hold of people's lives and their liberty and to put their own counterfeit in place. Uh, the Christian battle is not... The Christian battle, my battle, is not with souls who have been taken captive by these deceptive groups. Uh, but we are against those forces themselves. Uh, our battle, again, is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is against the powers and principalities that are out there. Um, Ephesians 6.12, it's on your screen. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the d darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Um, I want you to know that behind the high tower of holiness and cleanliness and righteousness, these principalities uh, represent, there exists some horribly dark uh, threads of proud materialism uh, seething from the hearts of men and women. Uh, they are, as Paul wrote, angels of light. They appear as angels of light who, are, who transform themselves, as Paul wrote, as ministers of righteousness. C.S. Lewis described the way these evil religious institutions would look when he said, quote, I live in the managerial age, in, a wor in the world of administration. The greatest evils is not now done in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to paint. It's not done even in concentration camps and labor camps. In those we see its final result. But it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, carried, and minuted in clean, carpeted, uh, warmed and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. Blech. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4.1 that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, he says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And what do seducing spirits seduce with, my friends? What is it that these seducing spirits are grabbing people with and drawing them in? Well, Scripture also tells us that they do it through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. This is what the world offers, the lust of the flesh. This does not necessarily mean sexual lust. The lust of the flesh, meaning more and more material. The lust of the eyes, meaning I want to have that position. I want to be looked upon with uh, people. And the pride of life, look at me, look how good I am. These are the seducing tools that demons and devils use. Does this describe what you're like in your heart of hearts? Has this worldview been planted in your heart by your leaders? Do you feel that way when you really examine yourself? Do you have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life within you? Search your hearts. It seems on every front there is a war being waged today. Of course, 
In the areas of common decency, we know that morality is being attacked, that family is being attacked, and that marriage is being attacked. But while these battles appear so vitally important and worthy of our Christian time and thoughts, they are but a symptom of a much deeper spiritual pandemic. And unfortunately, many Christian people have somehow deluded themselves into thinking that these social issues are of the highest import to humanity and to their Christian walk. And this is just not so. But they are a, but a byproduct of a more sinister conflagration. More and more we are seeing religions, denominations, and even the cults joining hands together in a concerted effort to save the world through social engineering and reform, rather than turning to knowing and worshiping the only true and living God. In this insipid delusion, believers and many well-meaning Christians are playing the fool. Humanity will never be saved by humanity. For salvation, whether in the collective or in the individual, comes only by knowing the way, the truth, and the life. Unfortunately, many churches and denominations and faiths have replaced reflective, cerebral, biblical study with fleshly activities uh, centered on reforming social ills. This is ultimately going to lead to several deleterious results in the body of Christ. First, we're going to witness more and more interfaith marriages based solely on the common goal of curing social ills and saving humanity from itself rather than discovering and teaching the biblical Jesus. This condition will ultimately lead to the construction of this sort of religious chimera uh, who, like Frankenstein, is going to amble around, you know, and it's going to strangle anybody that doesn't agree with it or uh, startles it uh, and, and, and scares it. Watch as non-Christian faiths like Mormonism continue to successfully integrate itself into the Christian body because they, they have such good standards and because they rep represent such sound family values. Blah! What can be done? What can stop the body of Christ from becoming the body of Frankenstein? First, the body must stop trying to save the world with social reform, but must instead return to what we are supposed to do. Share, teach, enlighten, exemplify Jesus. Second, the shepherds of the body must relentlessly teach the Bible week in and week out to the thirsting flocks. Not a series on the evils of Dan Brown's writings, or Harry Potter, or Islam. Not organizing pro-life campaigns and interfaith marches against the gays. The flock must be fortified and fed by the word, not moved to empty causes and winless social reform. Finally, Christians must be reminded that we have a duty to stand up and call things as they are. Put away the ecumenical outreaches and these dialogues for greater understanding, these interfaith picnics, and state without fear, hell is a reality. Jesus is the only way. The Bible is God's infallible word, and any other way is a lie. It's a deception. It may not be easy. It's not going to be well received. You aren't going to grow in popularity. But in the end, you will keep yourself and your family part of the body of Christ instead of becoming part of the body of Frankenstein. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we love you and need you. I need you. We all do. And so we pray that you will be with us. Send your spirit. Help our volunteers. All the technical issues that go with television. Bless our live studio audience, our audience throughout the world, our YouTube audience, our streaming audience, and our live television. God, we need you. And we pray for souls to come to know you through your word, your ministry, your outreaches. In Jesus' name, amen. Speaking of the Mormon practice of polygamy in Utah, author Richard Abanis wrote in his book, One Nation Under Gods, that, quote, after several years in Utah, Mormon men began realizing that their supply of young women was dwindling, end quote. Two weeks ago, in part three of our coverage of this topic, we discussed how Brigham Young and others view women as property, even as cattle, which were gathered, owned, and exchanged. 
Well, when the women started to run in short supply here in Utah, something needed to be done to refresh the herd, so to speak. LDS missionaries were therefore instructed to bring back as many females as possible from the mission field to replenish the wanting supply. Concerns began to crop up, however, when these missionaries, who were usually a lot younger, more handsome and appealing than the brethren back here, um, they began to take the, quote, best women for themselves and leave the graying grandpas with the leftovers. Heber C. Kimball told departing missionaries the following, and this is found in Journal of Discourses, Volume 6, page 256. Listen, quote, You, speaking to the missionaries, are sent out as shepherds to gather the sheep together, and remember that they are not your sheep. They belong to him that sends you. They do not then do not make a choice of any of those sheep. Do not make selections before they are brought home and put into the fold. The brother missionaries have been in the habit of picking out the prettiest women for themselves before they get here and bringing the ugly ones for us. He said this. Hereafter, you have to bring them all here before taking any of them and let us all have a fair shake. End quote. Pretty nice stuff, eh, there? That guy became a prophet of the church. Now, I've got to be honest. If I was the leader of the church that taught that men needed to take on extra wives in order to achieve exaltation, and I was talking to these missionaries, I would probably say the same thing, wouldn't you? But you have to ask yourself, what would it be in me that would proclaim such a thing? Does this sound like the love of God, the worship of God, the desire to do right? Or does this sound carnal, like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life? Well, word got around overseas that the women go that were going back to Utah, or Zion as they called it, uh, were getting taken in and becoming plural wives. This caused both the LDS leadership and the missionaries to frankly lie to people about the practice of polygamy in order to convince them to join the church and come back to Zion. The same lying still occurs today by the missionaries who represent a very limited gospel view to investigators and the leadership still continue to pre present a very limited uh, historical view. For example, in the 1866 version of the Doctrine and Covenants, it denied polygamy, okay? Until 1876, when the monogamy revelation, which was in the Doctrine and Covenants, was replaced with Joseph Smith's polygamy revelation. But in 1866, when the monogamy was still in the Doctrine and Covenants, Brigham Young declared, quote, the only men who become gods, even the sons of God, are those who enter into polygamy, end quote. The same year, Brigham Young's successor, John Taylor, said, where did the commandment from, uh, come from in relation to polygamy? It also came from God, he continued. When I see our, any of our people, men or women, opposing a principle of this kind, I consider them apostates. What is interesting is that while in France, this very same John Taylor said in a debate that polygamy was not practiced. He quoted the Doctrine and Covenants and, as the proof text and said, and he read from the one that talked about monogamy only. Even though back in Utah, the same John Taylor, future president of the Mormon church, while standing on French soil and denying the doctrine and practice of polygamy, had 12 wives back here and at that point had bore him eight children. They lie. He lied in order to get people to convert and come to this isolated land of Zion. Once they were here, they had little choice. As with the leaders, so with the sheep. Mormon missionaries routinely lied, as they do today, in order to deceive the European audiences. These lies were outright. 
or they were in the form of half-truths or misinformation. Three nights ago, I was uh, unable to sleep and sat up and looked at the internet and at a rev movie review. MRQE is the name of it, and it is a movie review query that has hundreds and hundreds of movie, movie reviewers in one location. And as I was looking up a movie that my family and I were going to see, there was a banner ad up at the top. And it prompted people to click the banner ad. And the banner ad read, remember when you knew who God was? And it shows a picture of a child. And, and so you click on that. And then it says, remember again, get a free Bible. So you click on that, and then up comes LDS.org, their website, or Mormon.org, excuse me, and it says, click here to have a conversation. So I click there, it's 12 midnight, and a guy named Mor Norman, excuse me, Norman the Mormon, Norman comes on, and Norman is like, hi, this is Norman. Now, I tried Sean McCraney as my real name and my real email five times, and I never got anybody to, to come on. Never. Maybe they have a list or something. So I put in Kevin's name, my, my partner, and then Norman came on immediately. Hey, Kevin. So I'm talking to, to him, and uh, I just didn't let him know who I was or anything or what I do. And I have never heard uh, more manipulation, more dancing, more humanistic, more emotionally driven appeals to knowing God than what Norman was putting out there for me. I suggest you all go to that and go and have discussions with these guys. Clog them with them. You know, talk to them and see what they have to say. Challenge them with the stuff you've learned. You won't believe what, they'll, what lengths they'll go to. Well, let me share a, a story about one woman who was deceived into coming to Zion as back in the day. Her name was Caroline Owens, and she had been friends with one John Miles when they were children living in England. Well, John... Miles migrated to Utah, became a Mormon, and on a return trip to England, he asked Caroline to be his wife, saying that they would be wed once they came back to uh, Zion. Uh, Caroline asked John about polygamy, and Miles uh, reassured her that only a few men were allowed to take more than one wife, but that young men like himself would only have one. The couple came to Utah, and Caroline reported that she was treated with great love and respect, be becoming John Miles' new wife. But the entire charade, charade uh, revealed itself just hours after her wedding. She recounted in her own words this, I can never tell the horrors of the next few hours. I went to my room and dressed for the reception, which took place at Cannon's other house, where he kept his three wives. When I went down, there was a crowd there, among the rest, a plain-looking girl in a calico dress, to whom I was introduced. It was Emily Spencer. I told her to get up. I guess Emily must have been sitting on John's lap at this point. Miles came forward and said, sit still, Emily Spencer, my wife. I felt as though I had been shot. I said, your wife? Then what am I? He said, you are both my wives. All at once, my shame flashed over me. Here I was, dishonored, the polygamous wife of a Mormon. I ran out of the house, bent only on escape. I did not think where. I could not do it, though, for Miles and the young canon, a son of the delegate, ran after me and dragged me back. But I stole away and returned to the other house where I had been living for three weeks since my arrival from England. I noticed there was no key in the lock, but shot a little bolt and piled chairs against the door. I cried myself to sleep. The next thing I knew, I don't know what time it was, Miles stood in the room and was locking the door on the inside. I screamed. Miles said I need not take on, for Brother Cannon had anticipated that I would make trouble and had the house cleared of everyone else. I found out that it was so. He told me that I might, well, I might as well submit. There was no law here to control the saints. There was no power on earth that would save me. End quote. This deception ultimately led to a Supreme Court case of John Miles against the United States of America. 
Before Englishmen, William Jarman and his wife came to Utah, they too had been deceived by the missionaries. According to Jarman, the elder who converted them never denied polygamy, but he continued to say, like the missionaries will say today often, polygamy was very rarely followed. The prophet Brigham and one or two others practice it. The elder continues speaking to Jarman's English wife, saying, But Mrs. Jarman, it's not essential to salvation, as you seem to think, that men must become polygamous. Remember, two years earlier, Brigham Young actually taught that it was and continued to teach that. What was the fallout if an LDS man or woman refused to practice polygamy? The very same fallout if a man or a woman refuse or, uh, or speak out against Mormon leaders when they say something. Only back at that time, the pressure was a little stronger. For instance, there is a documented case in which one Bishop Snow of Manti, a polygamist, uh, took action that is unheard of, but was given the thumbs up by Brigham Young. It seems old Bishop Snow, a believer in the principle, in the Book of Mormon, in modern day prophets, and the possessor of several wives, had his eye on this buxom young LDS girl and approached her with an offer to become one of his. The girl thanked Snow but declined, saying she was in love and engaged to a younger man, one Thomas Lewis, who was much closer to her in age. Bishop Snow, invoking God's name, said, it is his will that she become his uh, bride and uh, that her boyfriend or her beau could be gotten rid of and sent on a mission. But the girl refused. Her refusal was unheard of, just like refusing a bishop today is unheard of if he says, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord has told you this. You don't refuse callings in Mormonism. Well, this brought Thomas Lewis in before a council of men. Bishop uh, Snow was leading it, and when he said, when Snow said, hey, I want you to leave this girl alone, uh, Lewis said, no way, and for his insolence, he was attacked by these believers and held down and um, brutally castrated by Bishop Snow, who used a bowie knife to do the job. Now, before you pass this off as a singular aberration, there are some things to consider relative to this castration act that Bishop Snow ruthlessly, selfishly, and demonically did upon Thomas Lewis. First, it was done by a man who was supposedly called by God to be a judge in Israel and, and was angered because he didn't get his way. It was done by a true believing Mormon leader and his counselors and friends. He was held down by believers. This never would be done ever by Bible-believing Christians to another human being. This would not happen. There, maybe in the history of Christianity, things have occurred, but not by people who know and love Jesus Christ. They are still castrating males today who refuse to obey their will. How? By telling them they'll lose their wives in the eternities if they don't submit by telling them they will lose the ability to procreate for an eternity in the hereafter if they leave the church. By refusing to put independently minded men in places of position, thereby render, rendering them theologically impotent and a social, social outcast. From the seed springs the tree, from the tree comes the fruit, from the fruit comes the seed, and on and on and on. Sadly, horribly, Disgustingly, the girl ended up marrying Bishop Snow. His counselor recorded in May of 1857 that Thomas Lewis has, quote, now gone crazy. Rumor has it that he wandered the desert crazy until he died. In historian D. Michael Quinn's book, The Extensions of Power, he notes that when Brigham Young was informed of the castration, he stated that he felt, quote, inclined to sustain Bishop Snow. And then in July, Young wrote to Bishop Snow and said, quote, just let the matter drop and say no more about it, and it will soon die away with the people. Just like Mountain Meadows Massacre, right, Brigham? Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We would love first-time callers, if possible. We would uh, love LDS callers whenever we can. Have your comments, questions, attacks ready, and uh, please turn your TV sets down when you come on the air. Now, while the operators are screening calls, uh, let's run a spot about our Heart of the Matter Partners program. 
Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Alathia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. All right, we're back. And uh, again, want to thank those of you who can't become partners. There's people who pray for us and do all sorts of things. Some people are not in a financial position, we understand. Some people contribute to uh, our uh, ministry and they can't be a partner because there's a dollar amount to be a partner because it helps us plan and achieve what we're trying to do. So understand, it, there's no compulsion. It's how the Lord leaves you, uh, leads you, and uh, guides you in this. We just let you know that it's there. I uh, got a question. We have Cassie in Vancouver, Washington, Michael from Sacramento. But question, a, a quick a question from Jared. I agree with most of what you teach, but can't agree with you on your views on baptism. Uh, and we have a show on baptism. Go to the archives, www.hotm.tv, and you can read, uh, watch that whole show because it gives all the historical data. But let me just say this, okay? Let me just give you another uh, thing to think about regarding baptism. What is the gospel? Paul defines the gospel. The best definition, if you want to know what the best definition of the gospel is, it's in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Okay? And he says that Christ died for your sins, according to scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to scripture, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. That is Paul's definition of the gospel here in 1 Corinthians, all right? When we talk about baptism, this is going to probably ruffle some feathers. It is not part of the good news, okay? It is something we do as a result of the good news, but it is not part of the gospel, the good news. In fact, Paul said, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1, 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, do you see how he differentiates between the two? The people who, and religions who make baptism the gospel and this thing that people will do at all ages and without really any assent to Christ in their heart or mind, it's just a rite, it's just getting wet. So I believe in baptism. We do baptisms. It's a wonderful thing. It changed me when I was baptized, but it is not necessary to salvation. Thief on the cross, not baptized. But it is a great gift and tool that the Lord has given us for people who follow to die to ourselves, publicly proclaim Christ, and all the other symbolism that goes along with it. All right, let's go to Cassie in Vancouver, Washington, line four. Cassie, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I have a question for you. Yes. I was with LBS for 20 years, um, and we had a tragic event happen in my family that caused a loss of a family member. Um, it had nothing to do with Mormonism, but at the time I was very angry with God. Um, when I met the man that actually became my husband now, um, I was invited to go to a church with him, uh, a Christian church, and having been told that Mormonism was Christian, I didn't think anything of it. Um, and after realizing that uh, the differences between the two quickly, I never went back, which um, irritated my mother, who is the only remaining, remaining member of the church in my family. Uh -huh. And um, since then, she's consistently been bringing up Mormon issues when my husband is not around. Oh. Um, and so because she knows that he would put her in her place just like you would, just not on the air. Right. Um, so my question is, how do you recommend I tell my mom to back off in love? Yeah. Uh, well, maybe she might. How well are you? Uh, how well are you informed about your faith, Cassie? I have been doing so much 
treats with uh, my single, we have a little singles group, or a young adult group in my church. Yeah. Um, I've gone there, um, gone to different retreats. I actually just went to one this weekend and renewing my faith with the Lord and everything. Good. Do you know, um, do you read the Bible or are you still kind of a babe in Christ? No, I, I'm still, I'm still working on it, but I read the Bible every day. Um, okay. The Bible that uh, the Christians believe in, not the Mormon Bible, of course. Um, and in the first, but I'm getting there. Well, let me tell you this. This is, would be my advice for whatever it's worth. We have another couple here who have a family that are all LDS, and the, the wife of this couple is a, just a dear heart. She loves her children. They're all the LDS, and she and her husband are not now. And the children start getting into things with her, and she is kind of the, she's, not, she's a new Christian. So I told her, just tell your children, you know, don't come to me with all these things. If you want to talk about Mormonism, talk to your dad. Because he knows the stuff in this couple. So maybe you ought to say, Mom, you know, don't t I don't want to talk to you about this unless we talk about Jesus. You know, unless we just talk about the Lord and not about Mormonism. But if you have questions about Mormonism, I would appreciate if, if you would bring them up in front of your husband. Okay. Will that help? Yes, it will. Thank you so much, Sean. All right, Cassie. Thanks for calling. All right. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Michael in Sacramento. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. How are you? Good. How are you? This is this is Michael. I mean, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, listen. Uh, I'm not LDS. Some of my family members LDS. Um, but I have a question. Uh, Joseph Smith, after he died, the church split up into different groups. One of them was RLDS. Is that correct? Yes. And then Emma became part of that church, and then. Joseph Smith Jr.'s son, which would be Joseph Smith III, he became head of that church. That's right. And if, if I'm correct, so did Joseph Smith Jr. grandsons and great-grandsons. Is that correct? Uh, pretty sure on the great-grandsons, yeah. Well, from what I've read, they've, uh, according to RDL, RLDS, they all became head of the church at one time or another. So is it, is it, does this mean that the, the, the greatest prophet of all who preached family in heaven... According to LDS doctrine, none of his family's there because they all rejected LDS. Amazing, right? huh? It's amazing, isn't it? Is, is that pretty much, is that right? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. We did a whole series last year about uh, the RLDS and the break-off and the schism and, and how Joseph Smith III tried to lead the church and Emma. And it's all in the 2008 archives, but it's really amazing. And they just... Emma just, I mean, I think I can say this, she hated Brigham Young. She couldn't stand him. And so that was why the split occurred, essentially. How, how can anybody that's LDS ignore the fact that none of the prophet's family would be in heaven with him today? Do you know what they say? They, well, they cover that. They say, Emma was under such pressure, we can't judge her. She, the prophet said he would go to hell to get Emma, out of hell if he could. So we can't judge that celestial family. Don't deny the power of the ceiling. You know, Emma is with Joseph again. They, they, uh, they will whitewash that. They put Emma's picture up in the LDS, Utah LDS, ward houses still, and as the First Relief Society president. They hold her in esteem because of your very argument. If they didn't, they would have a problem with uh, this exact ar argument you're bringing up. But, Sean, what about his son and his great-grandsons and, and uh, his grandsons? They all led the church. They all led the RLDS church. None of them were LDS. Brigham, I mean, one could make the argument that the RDLS, RLDS is the true church. That, yeah. Yeah, but the, here's the thing. The, the LDS Utah response is, well, who's bigger, who's stronger, who's richer? The Lord obviously is with us. Well... Yeah, that's true. I guess you could make that argument, but that would mean that the, the, the Muslims... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good point, Michael. Yeah, exactly. Hey, really good call. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. We're going to Catherine in Salem. Catherine, first-time caller. You're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Catherine. Uh, I'm new to Utah and never had any exposure to Mormonism, um, so it's been kind of a culture shock moving here. I bet. Two, <laughs> two Especially to a city I, called Salem. I mean, it might be kind of... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> two things I've heard that I think are pretty crazy and outlandish that I'd like your comments on. I'll ask them, and I don't need to hang on the line. 
So okay. it's not the tie of your line. So um, number one, that people of color are descendants of Cain or Lucifer. And the second, um, this was actually told to me by a bishop, and I've actually Googled it, and it shows up, but that Cain was cast to earth forever as the mythical creature Bigfoot. <laughs> are you going to hang up? Or you want to stay on? I can hang up as long as you've got the, the questions. And I got them. Your... All right. Thank uh, you very much, Sean. Thanks, Catherine. Bye. Bye. You know, you can't, this you can't pay for. We haven't talked about the Bigfoot in a long time. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Now, one clarification. They don't believe that uh, people of color, black people, is really what we're talking about. Because you, you can be a Filipino, you can, be, you can have color and have received the priesthood. You just couldn't have one drop of black blood in you uh, to receive the priesthood in Mormonism. So it's not just people of color, it's black people. And from Brigham Young all the way up through Mark E. Peterson, 1968, you have quotes about them receiving their black skin through Cain as a mark because of their uh, inferiority in the pre-existence as spirits. And so, and, and their reasoning was this, how could a just God send some people to America and, and live in opulence and, and, and these wonderful things and some people to live eating roots from the ground in Africa? He couldn't. It has to be based then on their works in the pre-existence. Therefore, he sent the black people down with a dark mark. They were inferior. They could not hold the priesthood until the revelation came through Spencer W. Kimball, 1978. We are going to cover that, where he received, quote, unquote, a revelation that said, now all men can receive the priesthood. So you're right on the Cain thing, you're right on the uh, black skin being a curse, and you're right on them being inferior, not able to go through the temple, no priesthood until 1978. All right, now we have them parading around the few black people uh, representationally. Uh, Gladys Knight joined the Mormon church. Eldridge Cleaver, ex-Black Panther, joined the Mormon church. Uh, they don't p portray him around too much because he's a murderer, but uh, he joined in prison. But, you know, we have certain people who have done it, and they're more and more. I mean, it's a good social system. It's a great club. But, boy, I don't know if they've all read the quotes that, that you can about what they used to say all the way up to 1978. Now, as far as Bigfoot, the teaching was that, and still is, I believe, someone correct me, I have to call Sandra Tanner, but the teaching was that Cain was cursed not only with a black skin, but that he would never die, ever. He would roam this earth a vagabond, outcast, unable to die, and just suffering for what he did. And so there's a story that Brigham Young was traveling through the woods on a horse, and this hairy dude came walking up to him, and, and it was like taller than normal and bigger than normal, and it's kind of mythical. I think there's myth to this in the Mormon church. It's a myth. It didn't come from, but there's a story of him meeting this guy on the horse and saying that was Cain when the guy walked away. And supposedly this hairy guy was not clothed, and so we have the Bigfoot connection. And so for years, when I was a kid, Bigfoot was Cain, baby. So, uh, you know, it's true. Mythically, it's definitely there, part of the folklore. As far as an official representative saying it, I don't think that has ever happened. One last thing, my friends and I, when we were LDS deacons, we used to say, well, Cain never died. He wasn't in the ark with Noah. What did he do during the flood? And we always just say, he'd be sitting down there at the bottom of the ocean like, gosh, I hate this life of mine, you know? Just, what, you can't die? What happens to you? So some stuff to think about. Let's go to Javier in Provo, first time caller. Javier, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean, how are you? Javier, I'm doing well. Well, good. Hey, when you were talking about um, the castrating, um, how Snow was gonna castrate the young boy. The, the, yeah. It made me think of a book that I have read. It's called Under the Veil of Heaven. Have you ever read, uh, read that book? Yeah, Un Under the Banner of Heaven, John Krakauer? Yeah. yeah, Under the Banner of Heaven. Yeah. Um, and so the part where they talk about how Joseph Smith was, um, during the tarring and the feathering that the Mormons like to yeah. glorify, you know, as him being persecuted. Yeah. How... Um, they were actually doing that to him because 
the townspeople were angry because he was trying to, um, you know, court a young girl in the community. Miranda Johnson, yeah. Yeah, and so they were actually bringing him out into the field to castrate him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there so, was a doctor there with a scalpel to perform it. And the Johnson brothers, who Joseph Smith and Emma were living with, knew that Joseph was doing something with their younger sister. And so they pulled Joseph out of the house, tarred and feathered him, we're going to castrate him. And then the doctor said, I can't go through with this. And so they didn't. Now, I had a friend of mine, Reed. He went to the Fairs Symposium, which was recently held here. And Fairs is coming out and suggesting that there is no evidence at all that Brigham Young, I mean, that Joseph Smith had any relationship with Miranda Johnson that would cause this to occur. And the question Reed brought up, which is a good one, was why, were they, why was he going to be castrated? You know, was castration just something that you do tar, feather, castrate? No. Uh -huh. There was a purpose for it. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, John D. Lee, in his writings, which are not entirely reliable, but he says that castration as a punishment to men had existed from the Nauvoo days. Mm, yeah. So, really yeah. good call, Javier. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Buck and Payson, first-time caller. Buck, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Buck. Sean, awesome program. Thanks, man. Sean, how, how is it possible that so many intelligent people become recruited into the Mormon uh, faith, and how do so many of those same people continue to stay? Well, you got asked your same question about that with any, any people group, any mass movement. There's very intelligent people in Islam. I mean, there's very intelligent people in the Am Kren, I think the name of the cult. They're all PhDs in Japan. There's very intelligent people, and a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses aren't dummies. You know, what is it that makes people become part of a mass movement or group and stick with it, even though their intellect says differently? And it's the, something that we've always said on the show, and that is belief is so much stronger than facts. Mm -hmm. You will always choose belief over facts when you want to believe something. Most of these intelligent guys, they've been raised in the church to be successful. They grow up cutting their teeth on the songs, seeing the pictures, hearing the doctrines. Well, they, they become they're, they're clean livers. They become accountants and doctors and CPAs. They continue to buy into it. And even when they discover the truth, they say, well, I've been married in the temple. My kids are all happy. This works for me. Why leave? That's, that's amazing to me because, you know, I... Uh, growing up Christian, I've been called to God so many times and have read the Bible through and through. And once I've done that and then started reading the Mormon Bible and looked at it, you know, with an intelligent mind and an optimistic view, I, I just said, this is just an elaboration on most of the Bible itself anyway, and then here's a whole lot of flesh thrown in with it. And this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And yeah. then once I started reading, you know, Brigham Young's things and about the uh, the keys to the kingdom and who held them and, and how, you know, this godhood and you couldn't obtain that without the practice of polygamy, it just blew my mind. Yeah. Well, you know, Buck, just to be fair, I mean, we have a guy named Ken I talked to, he's a good friend of mine, and he often says that's how they're programmed. I mean, you're programmed that way. And we, even as Christians, Buck, you have to admit, we have to be careful about how we are programmed. We got to go to the Word, and we got to look at how the Word was put together. And we can, the God does not fear research and, and delving in and examining. And that's the difference is that most of those uh, guys, even if they're intelligent, have been told, don't get into that stuff. It will just shake your faith and testimony, make your life miserable. So they kind of are afraid. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, none of them have ever been revised, you know, in their writing. But uh, I do believe that, that. that Joseph Smith has, and so has Brigham Young. You know, as far as, as far as the church is concerned. Yeah. Hey, great yeah, call, Buck. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Sean. Awesome program. Have a great one. Thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. We are going to Shailene in Cedar City. Shailene, you're on Heart of the Matter. Shailene? Shailene is gone. We're going to go to Joanne in Boise. Joanne, you're on Heart of the Matter. Joanne. Joanne, <laughs> we're going to Jose in Salt Lake City. Jose, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jose! All right, you got operators going to work on what's going on with the phones. Quick thing, uh, this is from Tracy S. I saw your show the other day, and I listened. I noticed that Mormons do not have a show that bashes you, so then why do you do this to others? 
I looked to see if you had a show about the Jews since you called a man a Pharisee as if that was a bad name. Why do you do that? I know I can find fault with anything if I was trained my eyes to do so. I always taught my children to look for the good in others. Um, and then he says, the Mormon people are not hurting anyone. And he goes on to ask, why do I hurt people? They don't hurt anybody. Well, let me just tell you, Tracy, uh, first of all, um, they don't need a show, all right? The reason they don't need a show is because from the onset of their faith, Joseph Smith attacked Christianity and said that it is false. It's an abomination. Their creeds, their hearts draw near me, their mouth draw near me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He raised a flag and said, Christianity is an abomination and a lie. So they drew first blood there. Then the missionaries go out two by two, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 of them out in this world per year. Hello, Mrs. Jones. I'd like to share with you a message about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Did you know your church is a lie? Okay, so they don't need a program in order to do it. They're smarter than that. They just go bit by bit and they get you in the secrecy and then they start spinning and tell people that their churches are wrong, that you are wrong if you believe in Jesus alone as the source of your salvation. Did you know that they will, if they're honest, tell you that? Did you know that, Tracy? So we have a show like this to counter that. They started it, they continue it, and until they stop it, we are going to go on and we're going to counter them. It's not out of hate like you think. It is out of trying to reach those people who have said sitting there, there's something so wrong with this church, but I don't know what to do. I mean, I don't know who God is, but it doesn't really matter. They are burned out. We are trying to reach them. All right. Uh, we got the phone lines going. Should I try again? Let me try again. Let's try uh, Jose, line two. Jose, you there? Jose, you're on the air. What's going on? into the LDS church, their skin would become white. Yes. <laughs> and I don't have to stay on the line. I'll just look to you on the... Jose and Javier, it's a great question. Let me answer it. Thank you. I think the Hispanics are starting to get their names a little bit wild here. Jose and Javier are both females. Now listen, the question is this. Uh, did the Book of Mormon, I don't know if she said this, but does the Book of Mormon, or does Mormon doctrine teach that once the Indians began to live righteously, they would become white and delightsome? Absolutely taught in the Book of Mormon. Absolutely. They've changed it now. They've edited that out, but they taught that in the Book of Mormon text forever. Okay? So just to let you know, that was true. We're going to go to Shailene in Cedar City. Shailene, you're on Heart of the Matter. Shailene? He didn't do anything. He acted like he did something. He didn't do anything. Shailene is not there. All right. Going to another email. Sarah Winters from Nevada writes, I've listened to all your shows. I'm LDS, and I've heard a couple of things you think and say that are wrong. She doesn't tell me what they are. If you are wrong on some things, could it be possible you're wrong about it all? <laughs> okay, first of all, I admit there are things that I say sometimes and they've got to be wrong. But uh, let's just go through this, all right? Sarah, the first vision, read Grant Palmer's book, uh, Insider's View of Mormon Origins, and read the chronology of the first vision. That can be dissected and it is not as they've taught it. That's first vision. Let's go on. Gold plates. Read the story about the translation. Book of Mormon. Let's look at the DNA. Let's look at the linguistics. Let's look at the historicity. Let's look at the archaeological evidence. Let's look at the anachronisms that are in that book. Okay? So are all those things all right and I'm just wrong on them? Then let's go to the Doctrine and Covenants and how that's been altered and changed. Then let's go to the Pearl of Great Price and look at that thing, okay? And then let's go to the temple and look at its connections to masonry and how it has nothing to do with the temple of ancient Israel. And let's see, do you want me to stop? Then let's go to polygamy and the practice of that. Am I wrong on all of this stuff? I mean, does any of this stuff, am I just wrong, wrong, wrong? And then let's go to Mountain Meadows Massacre, the practice of blood atonement perpetrated on innocent people. And then let's just talk about doctrines of salvation. Let's just talk about the Bible, what it says relative to Jesus. 
I mean, how you might be able to say, I said they instead of them and whatever. But how can you say that just because a couple of things are wrong, that all of it could be possibly right? All right, let's try the phones again. We are going to Joanne and Boise on line one. Joanne, I know you're there. Hello? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joanne, what's happening, man? I'm not Joanne. Well, it's okay. Just pretend that you are. Go ahead, man. What's your name? Gordon. Hey, Gordon. You're on the air. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Christian. I go to Trinity United Methodist Church in Kearns. Yeah? And we got a great pastor. A couple of things. It says in the Bible that there'll be many false prophets prior to Christ's return. Yeah. Well, when I look at Mormonism... I look at false prophets. Okay. They're the, the only church side. that really claim a prophet. Huh? They're the only church that really claim a living prophet. Also, I've had missionaries, and there's this bishop down the street, and I said, show me anywhere in the King James Bible where Christ had a temple and no one was allowed to see him. And that was it. Huh. And they, they couldn't answer that question. And now I'm considered in the neighborhood the devil. <laughs> hey, Gordon, did you say you asked the question, show me anywhere in the Bible where Christ had a temple? The, I told them to show me somewhere in the Bible where Christ had a temple where nobody could see him. In other words, he saw everybody that he could. Okay, got it. Okay. Good Here's question, man. All righty. I'll hey, let you go, Sean. God appreciate, bless. Appreciate it. God bless you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. We're going to Andy in Brigham City. First-time caller, and he's LDS. Andy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there. Hey there. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to call. I, I appreciate you letting anybody call in. Yeah, what's happening? Hey, I'm, I'm a Mormon. I'm, I've, I'm a firm believer that I'm a Christian, and I even named my son Christian. And uh, I, I guess I don't really have a question, um, just to comment, and it'll be really diplomatic, and I'll be really kind. I just hope you can hear me out to the end, maybe 45 seconds. Is that 40, okay? You got 45, my brother. All right. Hey, um, you know, a lot of people, and this show in particular, they, they talk a lot about the polygamy, and uh, I believe I saw a little part on the show about the blacks receiving the priesthood. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's when people focus on those things, it's hard to uh, remember the, the big picture, and what we believe in is obviously God the Father and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, that Jesus spoke to more people than just the Jews, and so that's why we have the Book of Mormon. And uh, the temples and the prophets and so forth and authority. Okay, Andy, um, Andy, the 45 seconds are supposed to bring up something. You can't be a promo for Mormonism. Oh, oh no, no, no. I, I've got it. Okay. Um, the, the heart of the matter for me is, is this. And if you want to find the truth, you go to the source. Not true. And, and that is God, our eternal Father. And uh, it, just like Joseph Smith with his beginnings, he... Uh, you're still doing it, Andy. You're still doing it. What you're doing is a missionary discussion here, and you're, you're sharing with the audience. You're using the airtime to do it. We want a question from you. We want a definitive statement. Let me say, you say, wait, I got to say, I gave you more than 45. You said that we look at blacks in the priesthood and, and polygamy, and we say, we need to look at the big picture. That is the big picture, Andy. The big picture is the history of Mormonism. Andy, we that's need, the big uh, picture. The big picture is this. We need to find truth from God, our Heavenly Father. Why do we have the Bible, Andy? We have and, a Bible uh, that came forward and gives us all the truth we need. You know, we don't need a Book of Mormon. We don't need a modern-day prophet to tell us that you can't have a piercing. We don't need a Book of Mormon. We don't need a Pearl of Great Price. We have the Word of God, Andy. Um, Sean, can I, can I have just 30 more seconds? Andy, Andy, the, the problem the is, is... God is found in the Bible. Andy, and you, the Andy listen, call back. We have 27 seconds, and we'll do it again. I'm sorry, it's right at the end of the show. I'm not cutting you off. I'd let you talk, but I had to do that because we're in the show, all right? I got to let you go. Bye-bye. All right, well, sorry to let Andy go. Listen, one last question from Eric Longosta from Buffalo, New York. Can Mormons drink Coke or not? Yes! All right, man. You guys come back next week. We'll see you here in Heart of the Matter.